0: Now, I'd like to welcome a dear friend of mine, Kyle Andrews, who is a high school sports reporter for the Baltimore Sun Media Group. How are you doing, Kyle?
1: I'm doing great, James. It's uh, good to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, it's been a few years, but I figured I'd reach out during this time of no sports. But, you know, you can give us a little bit of a unique perspective on how things are going in Baltimore on you know, with the Ravens and a little bit later with the Orioles but I figured we'd start with the Ravens only because they're a division rival with the Browns, and you can give us a different perspective, I guess, than someone who's normally focused on the Browns.
1: So, yeah, definitely. I mean, of course we have to start off with their first-round pick. I mean, Patrick Queen, I think that was an outstanding pick. It's, you know, I mean, everyone always talks about how the Ravens do really well with linebackers. I mean, they haven't had a first-round linebacker in quite some time, but You know, And C.J. Mosley worked out pretty well for them. He was the last guy. Um, And, of course, everyone knows about Ray Lewis. But I think that Patrick Queen is more or less in the – he's, like, he's really similar. And it's funny to how Ray Lewis played when he first got in the league. And Ray Lewis could run side to side really well. He was a really good pass defender, had a couple interceptions early on. So I think that right now the Ravens, I mean – you were sitting in a situation where they had peanut onwasser uh patrick uh, P, uh yeah patrick onwasser mm-hmm. and he left to go to the jets you lose him and um you know Kenny Young didn't work out too well but they traded him to the rams and then they ended up getting Marcus Peters so now you have a, a secondary that's good um but you needed to figure out the, those middle linebacker positions you had uh, Josh Bynes who he was solid but you know he was a late pickup that the Ravens made and now he, he's gone. Um, but uh, they signed LJ Fort. he was good, really liked uh, that signing that they had. Um, but, you know, they, they had to get better at those middle linebacker positions. You got a thumper and uh, Malik Harrison in the third round. That was a, I think an outstanding pick. It made perfect sense because, you know, you compare him with, uh, with Patrick queen who, and they do two different things. Like, I mean, Patrick Queen's more of the, you know, today's prototypical linebacker where he could kind of cover everything, whereas I would say Malik Harrison is kind of that old-school linebacker that just beats people up and and gashes people on the inside. So, I mean, I think it's a great move for them to get that interior uh, of their linebacking core kind of, you know, just getting it right. I think that was the biggest point of emphasis that they needed to make um, when it came to, you know, just def- defensive players on, I guess, I guess, on that back. end. I think they needed a pass rush too, but, you know, that couldn't really get addressed. But they still have Matt Judon. Um, I think I think adding those guys that they had to, um, Calais Campbell during the off season. I thought that was a really good move on their end. I mean, the guy's a Pro Bowler. He's a consummate professional. I think you know that that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, Derek Wolf was a really good guy during the offseason. I think that he made perfect sense for uh, you know just adding pass rush as well. Um, so they have a they have a veteran leader and I mean a veteran leader in uh, you know defensive line. Um, and then you add uh, just you had uh, as well in in the draft and I just think that, that that D-line's a lot better. I just think that they needed an outside linebacker to kind of help, but, uh, you know, you can't always get what you want sometimes. I mean, the things fall where they may in the draft on the defensive side for the Ravens, but um, that's just, you know, one side of the ball. But on the offensive side, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you guys know how great uh, J.K. J. Dobbins was at Ohio State, and I just think that, you know, you add Dobbins at first, I'm like, you know, why would they draft a running back so high? And I understood how great J.K. Dobbins was in college. But then you think about it and you think back to 2008 when the Ravens drafted Ray Rice around the same time. And I would say J.K. Dobbins is a really similar back, but he's a little bit bigger than Ray Rice was. But, um, you know, if you have a guy that dynamic, and you pair him with a Lamar Jackson, and, you know, you don't have to, he doesn't have to go right into the fire. I mean, you already have Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram and uh, and Justice Hill as well. So I think that, you know, after what they said, after um, GM Eric DaCosta kind of told everyone, he was like, well, I think we're going to use all four running backs this year. I mean, you're going to keep all of them fresh. And I think that was the biggest issue in the playoffs last year is that, one, they just didn't use the running backs enough. <laughs> I mean, but, and then, two, if Mark Ingram's banged up, who's going to be that next guy? And I feel like the production kind of drops from Mark Ingram to Gus Edwards. And then, you know, Justice Hill, I think, is electric, but he also hasn't really found his way yet. So you add a guy that's a sure thing in J.K. Dobbins, think that he he's going to be... A really good pick for them, I think. Um and then also offensive line was a big issue um coming into the draft just because as everyone knows, Marshall Yonda, who who's a future Hall of Famer, he retired. I mean, that's gigantic for the Ravens. I think that, you know, they could have used him for an extra year, but he made that decision just to um, you know, Hanging, it his cleats up. I mean, he's already a Super Bowl champion, so you can't really blame him. He had nothing else to kind of work for, I don't think. Um, so you know, you add Ben Breedson from uh, Michigan, who I think was a really solid pick. I mean, he isn't, he isn't Cesar Ruiz, but uh, you know, he still had a good season at Michigan. You know he's a he. I think he's a little bit more fluid than Ben Powers was, even though Ben Powers played in an offense where, you know, at Oklahoma, where you had to have that fluidity to kind of survive, and in and in, you know with the pass rush coming. Um. So now you got two guys I think that are going to compete for that right guard position, and then they're also going to try Breeden at uh, center as well. I mean, the Ravens. I think a lot of people. What a lot of people don't realize about the Ravens is that, you know, Matt Skirra, that started center, missed a great portion of the season with the He blew out his knee. And, um, you know, they had Patrick McCurry from Cal, who came in as an undrafted free agent and started the rest of the season and into the playoffs. And, you know, it wasn't I don't think it was a huge drop off. I think it was overstated how big the drop off was. But I mean, they could improve, and it, it doesn't hurt to have more competition. I think at uh, you know at that at that center position, it doesn't hurt. And the Matt Skr is not going to be back, I don't think, until the middle of the season. So you know, it does. It, with the added roster spots, I mean, it's good to have a, a fourth running back. It's good to have you know maybe a a ninth offensive lineman in that situation because those are positions that get banged up really heavily then you know it it boils down to the receiving core and I think on the offensive side of the ball that was the biggest you know hole that they had I mean they it it seemed like at the end of the season you know they Marquise Brown was maybe the only guy that I would say that really burst and they and they needed they needed a, a couple other guys that can you know, blow the lid off of the the defense. And I think that you got you got two really good guys and uh and DuVernay and Prochet. And um, you know, both of them, I think that, you know, they they're really good value picks at where they got picked at. So I mean, you get those guys that are really good route runners or they have really good hands. And I think that the Ravens didn't have, you know, burners. That had great hands. and, you know ran routes really well outside of Marquise Brown. And I think with the, I mean, with Marquise Brown being healthy this season, I think it's going to be a completely different look for the Ravens' offense um, just going down the field, the field. So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. So what I liked from the Ravens' draft, from just a you know an analyst perspective, let's put it that way, is I like the additions that they made of Patrick Queen. I like that they're able to get Malik Harrison. Those were two guys I wouldn't have mind the Browns taking chances on if the draft fell a certain way, or if they if the Browns wouldn't have took uh, Jacob Phillips one pick before Malik Harrison. You know only because the Browns need an edge rusher and Malik Harrison would have done that, but never mind. Um, but you know Patrick Queen was somebody that if they didn't get one of the top tackles at that tenth spot, if they were to. I know trade back wouldn't have been the worst idea in the world with Patrick Queen, um, but looking at Dobbins, Dobbins I think will be a very um, dynamic playmaker in that Ravens offense. You know, balancing that between Ingram and Dobbins will be good. And, you know, kind of throw Edwards in the mix too, but you know, try to take some of the. The pressure off of Lamar Jackson to uh, perform at the level that he did last year because Lamar Jackson was fantastic as a you know as a as running and with the, some of his passing game but if you can take some of that pressure off of him that might help him be able to I guess perform better longer if you know what I mean uh and looking at their guards I have no complaints about them taking two guards right there and uh they need to replace Yonda and they need to I guess kind of throw a couple options at the wall and see what they can get now i know the you know the one concern sometimes it's overblown sometimes it's not mentioned enough about lamar jackson this is just passing as as we know lamar jackson can be a productive passer but there are times when he has some issues fair oh
1: yeah I, fair? I definitely agree so, i mean i think i think when he you know in the playoff game, we kind of saw him pressing, but I also felt like that was due to play calling. And I think that sometimes when a play calling gets a little overwhelming, um, with some, I mean, cause this, this Greg Roman offense is one of the most complex offenses that I've ever seen in my life. And I, I mean, and I think that a lot of people don't realize that just because of, you know, they, they see, I guess, all of this like, you know, the, the read they think okay, read option or RPO and that's it. It's just one of the, one of the two. But they've ran so many even though it's a lot of it's pistol heavy, mm-hmm. I would say that they have a lot of motion. They have a lot of different the blocking schemes are completely different. I mean, Lamar Jackson makes a lot of calls at the line that people don't see um just based off of little hand motions that he makes. He has you know, one guy look back and usually that was Marshall Yonda. Where he'd make a little tap or something, or someone else would, you know, make a little hand signal. Either that was a receiver. And some, I mean, everyone's making, it's a moving, it's a lot of moving parts in that offense that I think that, you know, if they can, I don't necessarily think that you need to simplify it because I think that Lamar Jackson has always been able to grasp really complex offensive schemes, Um, just going back to college as well at Louisville. But I also think that. You know, they needed, they needed, I guess, cut down on so many passing plays, especially in the playoffs, and just try to press for him.
0: Yeah, the way I see it is that if they can, this isn't a, a dig against Lamar Jackson, but if they can take a little bit off of his plate, the better he'll be as a quarterback for this team, you know, for the Ravens. And maybe maybe go a little bit farther and possibly advance to his first Super Bowl appearance. It's just sometimes you need to take a little to get more out of over the course of the season.
1: Totally agree.
0: So, looking at, you know, the Ravens, is there any things, um, any areas that you would have liked to see them address that they didn't? Or stuff that you think that they maybe uh, addressed but didn't necessarily need it?
1: Um, I think that they addressed all the things that they need. I mean, because, like, you know, maybe, I guess running back was one where I'm like, you know, initially I was like, well, why did why did they go after a running back? But, um, you know, I still think that edge, you know, they needed an edge rusher. And I thought that maybe in the second round, um, the Ravens had a, they had a lot of ammo in the second round. Um, I, I, I thought that Yator Gross Matos would have been a really good pick for them and placing him outside of uh, Matthew Judon on the other side. Um, so I, I thought that was one area that I'm like, okay, I'm kind of, if I'm the Ravens, I'm a little concerned, but I also think that Eric, DeCosta made the most of what he already had. And it was, it was a smart play on his part. I don't, I don't think that they, they did anything wrong per se. I think that they did every, they let the pieces fall to them. And I, I mean, that's a typical Ravens draft whether. It's uh, Ozzie Newsome, or it's Eric DaCosta. I mean, you could kind of tell that, you know, Eric DaCosta is definitely a, a Ozzy disciple, just based off of how he just kind of let the chips fall to him instead of, you know, going completely crazy.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was very much a Ravens draft. They took some linebackers, they took a defensive lineman, took a couple offensive linemen, and running back. It's just that that's what the Ravens have been doing for ever. It seems like. <laughs> In regards to the Dobbins pick, what the way I see it is it maybe a, some sort of succession plan for Mark Ingram, because he's getting a little bit older. He's got some tread on the tires still, but eventually it's going to run out. And you need someone to, I guess, sort of cycle in as you dial back Mark Ingram at some point. Not necessarily this year, but maybe next year or the year after that. You're going to need to find some way to f- shift maybe away from Ingram and into maybe Dobbins could be that guy.
1: Right. And I totally agree with that. I think you need to, you know, maybe keep, if you keep Ingram's legs fresh, I think he's a better back. I mean, that goes for most running backs, I think. And, you know, you got a guy in JK Dobbins and Gus Edwards is a power guy, but I also think that, you know, the Ravens were just, like you said, prepping for the future, considering that, you know, Gus Edwards is a free agent after next season. And so if, if Gus here, you know, your backup running back, you know, the guy that you're, you're kind of looking towards maybe, okay, well, the future, he might not be in our future plans. And, you know, while that that's a tough situation to be in, I mean, I think that they made the most out of it when you have a, a guy like, um, you know, JK Dobbins, who's electric. I mean, he's absolutely electric. And I think for future plans, um, it just makes a lot of sense to have a guy like that um just going forward. I mean, like I said before, you know, the the way, I mean the Ravens kinda had the same um that that kinda same idea with Ray Rice because Ray Rice was you know, he was backing up. I mean, I don't think people remember <laughs> that uh Ray Rice backed up Willis McGahee and Laron McClain and they had Lorenzo Neal at fullback. So I mean <laughs> Ray Rice didn't get that many touches his rookie season. I mean, it it took him until 2009. So I think it was the second season. Yeah. Second season was in 2009. And, um, you know, that's when he kind of broke onto the scene and it kind of seems like the same thing is going to happen for, you know, the Ravens with JK Dobbins. I think that Mark Ingram is your Willis McGahee in this situation. And then Gus Edwards is your Leron McLean in this situation. Um, and so J.K. Dobbins is now your Ray Rice. And then, you know, next year after after this upcoming season, you could slide him in, plug and play him at, at the running back position. And I think he'll be completely fine. Maybe Mark Ingram scales his his ability a little bit back. Um don't have to use him as much and the tread on the tires won't be as bad and then i and then i think that you know maybe justice hill is still the third down guy in the background where he um you know he makes some plays he returns kicks or punts whatever you need him to do so you know that's what i kind of envision the ravens doing in the coming years uh with dobbins i just think that I, i like the pick in the end i mean it just took me a little bit of time to be like okay well I'm kind of warming up to it um but it made sense no doubt
0: yeah I, I know it's funny I'm glad you brought up the the Willis McGahee, Leron McClain um uh grouping because yeah. you just reminded me of a very old fantasy football story I have uh I remember it was going into Ray the second year when he finally broke out there was there's a guy in my in my league who drafted Leron McClain he's like I got Leron McLean he looking all like smug and stuff i'm like that's cool he's not the starter and i took <laughs> ray rice like five rounds later and he's like who's ray rice i'm like you'll see <laughs> right. so that that was just always one of my favorite you know fantasy football draft stories that guy was just so full of himself about Ron McClain. then i completely forgot about it till now um oh yeah so, speaking of teams that do stereotypical drafts year in year out this is something we talked about beforehand, but the, the Steelers. A lot of people are down on the Steelers draft, and as you said, they may have had the worst draft out of all the teams in the division, but they pretty much had a Steelers draft when you look at it.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the
0: the biggest thing for me
1: that I'm like, I'm kind of kind of confused about was just that, you know, I thought maybe, I mean, once the Eagles picked Jalen Hurts, I thought all, you know, at that point I was like, well, the Steelers aren't getting a quarterback this season because I, I, you know, I really thought Jalen Hurts was a, a Steelers kind of guy, you know, I think him and Mike Tomlin could have vibed pretty well together. Um, you know, Mike Tomlin's a, a really great head coach. I think he, you know, when it's all said and done, I think he'll be a whole famer. Um, So, I mean, he gets the most out of guys that are, you know, okay to good guys. Maybe not elite, but, I mean, look at what he did with Duck Hodges at quarterback last (laughs) season. I mean, they like, I don't understand how you get a – you got a fourth-string quarterback, and he's out there winning games. I mean, Mason Rudolph is awful. And, I mean, now Ben Roethlisberger is is banged up, and now you don't have another guy. To kind of replace Ben eventually, and I just think that I mean that that to me, you know, I thought they should have used a little bit of ammo, maybe from the pre. I mean, from their next upcoming drafts, uh, just to you know trade for um, trade up and try to get a, a quarterback. I mean, I thought that, like I said, if Jalen Hurts fell to forty nine, I don't see, I didn't see them picking Chase Clayton.
0: I really I thought, thought Jalen Hurts would have been a good batch for them too. Oh yeah, I, I I really did. Especially with you can basically count on Roethlisberger missing I don't know two to three games every year for various reasons. He usually is banged up at some point and has to miss one or here and there maybe a couple in a row. Maybe they go and explore the free agent quarterback market at some of the guys that are still out there. Maybe they go talk to you know Cam Newton or you know the recently recently released Andy Dalton and see if they just want to come and step in, be the backup, and eventually when Roethlisberger gets hurt, step in, do your thing, and work towards that next deal.
1: Right, and i that's something that I said, you know what, if if in the end, and I know a lot of quarterbacks are available right now, um, I think that in the end, you need to look at it from this perspective. If you are a Cam Newton You kind of play. Cam Newton plays like if Ben Roethlisberger had wheels, you know,
0: and comparable.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think that he's actually at this point in his career. I think that if Cam stays healthy, he's an upgrade over Ben Roethlisberger. Um, But, you know, that that's the problem. I, I think. Is Cam, one, does Cam Newton want to be a, a backup right now? And I, and I think the answer to that is obviously no. No guy's going to tell you, oh, yeah, I want to be a backup in the NFL. I mean, and I think Cam Newton, he, you know, it's a little bit after you were the MVP and you got cut, why would you want to be a backup? I mean, that, that to me. I feel like that's a smack in the face, but you know, at the same time, you're dealing with a situation where your best option right now is to, you know, come in, be a little bit humble. Not that it's fair. It's never going to, I mean, it's not fair. It's not a fair situation, but, um, you know, I think that would be a perfect fit for him. I think Mike Tomlin, he would get the most out of Cam Newton. I think that, you know Cam Cam is focused right now, and I think he's he's angry at the at the way things played out. Um, but I think that you know if the Steelers go and get Cam Newton, I think that Cam Newton would be a better immediate fit for the Steelers than Jalen Hurts would be. I think Jalen Hurts is like if he had gone to the Steelers, I think that would have been a long term thing. Yeah. But uh, you know Cam Newton, if if you plug and play, like let's say Ben Roethlisberger you know does something and gets like he gets like a concussion maybe like week six and i'm not wishing that on him obviously but um Mm -hmm. you know he's been banged up so much that i'm like okay well cam newton is almost guaranteed that he's gonna play this season and cam could go and take over the team play absolutely out of his mind for a couple i mean for maybe a uh you know, a season, the rest of the season, take them to the playoffs win a game or two. And now Cam Newton, you know, they're sitting in a situation where it's either Cam or Ben and Cam's just like, okay, well, I played so well. Uh, do you guys really want to bring back? I mean, do they really want to bring back Ben when Cam played so well? And Ben, you know, is he, he's hurt for the 500th time. So I think that would be, you know, if if Cam Newton goes to the Steelers, I think that's the best fit for him. And I think that's the best fit for the Steelers because you're getting a guy that plays like Ben, you know?
0: Yeah, Um, and really all Cam Newton needs is just, you know, a couple games where Roethlisberger would be out. I mean, that's all he needs. Matt Flynn got a huge deal after lighting up the Lions once. I mean, if he can do that, I mean, Cam Newton, if he just plays two games and even just looks... 60%, 70% 60, 70 percent of what he used to be, he'll get a, a couple year deal from somebody. Exactly.
1: I mean, look at look at Teddy Teddy Bridgewater played it perfectly. He went in for a year, and I think Jameis is doing the Jameis is doing the exact same thing that I think Teddy Bridgewater, you know, did, where he goes in for a year, maybe sits behind Drew Brees for a year and learn, you know, soaks in some knowledge. Drew Brees maybe maybe he doesn't get knocked out this year, but you know Jameis stays there. Like let's say Cam goes to the Steelers, Mm -hmm. and you know Ben Roethlisberger he is healthy. He plays a year, and then he and then he decides okay I'm gonna retire. Cam's still right there for you. You know he's still healthy. I mean yes he's 31 years old, but like you know if you have I feel like if you have an extended period of time where you've rested. I mean, you're you're gonna be set, and I don't I don't think Cam is a old thirty one either. I mean, I I think that he's had he's had a couple freak injuries. I mean, the shoulder thing, freak thing, and I think the ankle you know injury wasn't it's not it's not an overuse an, an injury you know, and the shoulder's completely healthy. I think last year you saw him lose his mobility from the ankle injury, and now, I mean, we've seen Cam on Instagram working out. We've seen him running, doing drills and everything, and we've seen him playing basketball. I'm pretty sure that ankle's pretty healthy if you're out there playing basketball on almost a regular basis. So, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, just from a, just from, you know, off of the game standpoint, uh, you know, seeing what Cam does, I, I mean, I think that. Whatever team picks him up is getting a really hungry player. And I think the Steelers, you know, that's the perfect fit for them.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that would be a good spot for them. And when considering the Steelers draft, uh, very important. They traded their first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. So while it doesn't count that way, got to consider it that way. They spent a first-round pick. They got Minka Fitzpatrick. So adding that into their whole draft, you know, they added a lineman, a safety, a defensive tackle – Linebacker, it's a Steelers draft when you consider Minka Fitzpatrick among those group of players. Mm -hmm. I I agree. So, I mean, if I could have a first-round pick or Minka Fitzpatrick, I mean, we know what Minka Fitzpatrick is. He's really good. So, is there any guarantee your first-round pick turns into anything remotely close to Minka Fitzpatrick? Probably not. So, not necessarily the worst move for the uh, Steelers with that.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, and I do think another thing too, I mean, I don't know if you notice this, but uh, the Steelers got two Terps. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, as, as many people in Maryland know, Mike Tomlin's son actually plays for the, for the Terps. He's uh, mm-hmm. Dino Tomlin. He's a receiver. And so, um, you know, they, they kind of went to the wall. They got Anthony McFarlane, the Steelers. Did. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good pick. I'm considering that you know James Conner is banged up sometimes, and you know you got to get a guy in there that's explosive. And Anthony McFarlane, I swear, if he played for any other team in the Big Ten, not named Maryland or Rutgers, he would have been outstanding. You know, (laughs) and I think it's
0: a very fair point. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Maryland and Rutgers are, you know, no offense to those two programs, but right now they're just not very good. I mean, and that. But uh, you know, I think they're building. I mean, they have a lot of talent. I mean, Anthony McFarlane, I think, is a freak athlete. Like that guy. If the Steelers, I think that if you're a fantasy, if you're in your fantasy draft and you want a guy, you want to get a guy that's a, uh, you know, a handcuff back. I think that that's the guy that you get. You I, know, I Anthony McFarlane, agree. Yeah, he's he's outstanding. I think that he's gonna he's gonna have a really good NFL career. I think. Him, getting him in the fourth round that was you know the Steelers made an outstanding pick and I think people are really going to love him in Pittsburgh and then the other guy from Maryland that they got was uh Antoine Brooks I mean Antoine Brooks is a great safety I mean the Terps had a couple of years ago I think it was like two years ago back when um you know they were playing against Ohio State and um and that same season, when they, you know, they kind of took Ohio State to the wire.
0: Oh, I um, remember. <laughs>
1: you know, Maryland <laughs> Maryland had this, uh, you know, they had a guy named Antoine Brooks. And Antoine Brooks, that whole season, he had played pretty well. I mean, that was that was actually the first game that they had given up, you know, a ridiculous amount of points. I mean, that, that just didn't happen that season up until that point. I think it was in October or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know... Antoine Brooks was a part of that defense it was just – they were just strong. And, I mean, to get him in the sixth round, I just think that, you know, Steelers made a really good pick. Those two Terps, I mean, they're good. You know, they just didn't play on a great team. And I think, you know, that that kind of hurt them. You know, I think if Anthony McFarlane played, played behind Penn State's offensive line or Ohio State's offensive line – or even if, if especially Wisconsin's offensive line, mm-hmm. you know, he would have he would have been a first-round or second-round pick. It's no doubt in my mind. And, he, and he's a uh, DeMatha guy. I mean, DeMatha, they produce everyone, so football and basketball. But that's neither. know nor there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, there is one team in the division who had a draft which may not give them instant results, but maybe two or three years from now, they could be fighting towards the top of the division. That's the Bengals. Uh, yes. they, they they got Joe Burrow at one. Then they took T. Higgins. Kind of funny that they played against each other in the national title. Now he's going to be throwing passes to him. Always find that kind of entertaining. You know, Then they just short up their defense. You know, with uh, Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis-Gaither, uh, Khalid Kareem. It, those are some solid picks right there that they've you know, solid foundational picks to build upon their roster after being fairly aggressive in free agency. So they might not have a instant turnaround, but I feel that they could be a team that maybe next year gets that first step towards, okay, we were, we were competitive in these games, you know, one score losses. Then next year is then they take that that step to, they're on the right side of the one score game. You know what I mean? Right.
1: And I think that, you know, they have – that offense looks super explosive in my my honest estimation. I mean, if they – if John Ross and, you know, A.J. Green can stay healthy, I mean, you add T. Higgins who, ironically enough, got compared to A.J. Green. So, imagine having not one A.J. Green, but you have two – potentially two A.J. Greens. That's Boyd. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how are you going to defend that? And I mean, Tyler Boyd's a very good receiver. I think that he he doesn't get enough credit for how talented he is. And I think that John Ross, I mean, John Ross might not be what they expected him to be. But if you put him in the slot and he's your fourth receiver, that's a great problem to have. I, I think, you know, you already have Giovanni Bernard and Joe Mixon, and then now you have a you have a quarterback that has all those weapons. I think that the only thing that they kind of missed out on was offensive line, but I think that that's something that you can build on, and they're gonna, you know, Joe Burrow might start right away. Who knows? But and I think he will start right away. But yeah, I, I mean, also think that, yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, he. But you know, maybe you don't want him to get killed <laughs> on the offensive line.
0: Yeah, that, that's know. a that's a fair. Uh, concerned to have but you know with them letting Andy Andy Alton go it's it's Joe Burrow's show so
1: exactly yeah I I totally agree with that I think um you know in the event had they kept Andy Dalton and just said okay well Andy can you teach if you show him the ropes um I think it would have been a completely different situation but I think right now you gave you gave uh you know Andy Dalton the ability to go kind of find a team who knows where he goes? I don't, I mean, I couldn't tell you, but, uh, you know, I think that now with Joe Burrow having all these weapons that he has, I think that they're going to try to take the pressure off of him by doing, you know, shorter passes. It's funny that they, you know, some team, so, some scouts compared him to Jared Goff with his accuracy. And that's really funny considering that Zach Taylor was Jared Goff's quarterback's coach before getting hired. <laughs> to the Bengals, so i mean it it just it seems like it's a good fit to me um all around and you give him the weapons to kind of ease that pressure off of him maybe you make him make shorter throws and not like those you know crazy deep throws that uh you know some other quarterbacks in the division have made i mean especially baker mayfield i think has the strongest arm in the division um i don't think that they're gonna ask joe burrow to be baker mayfield with some of his throws um well I'm hoping the Browns what?
0: don't ask Baker Mayfield to be Baker Mayfield with some of those throws <laughs> next year. So <laughs>
1: Definitely Definitely can see your point.
0: <laughs> uh, um you know, I think Joe Burrow will be fine. Uh, I I feel that the Bengals feel comfortable enough with their offensive line offensive line that they can kind of work their way around it. Um hopefully the their uh their way they're out, evaluated their line works out for them for the sake of Joe Burrow. Um, but yeah, that's definitely an area they're gonna have to address in the future. Moving forward is making sure that their quarterbacks protected. Um, lightly touching on the Browns, then we'll talk about some baseball to to end things here. But let's lightly touch on the Browns for a second because you brought up Baker Mayfield and his long throws. He needs to throw the ball less and shorter, in my opinion. Um, I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> shorter passes. Throw it less. There's a he is actually statistically a better quarterback when he throws it less than when he throws it more. The te- the Browns win more often when he throws it under 30 passes, I believe, and they lose a lot when he has to throw over 30. Now I know a lot of that's all oh, you know. You can kind of play the uh, the situation game, but when it comes down to it, when he throws it less, they win. When he throws it more, they lose. So yeah, I mean, it, and- just hand the ball to Nick Chubb. Uh, give it to, to Kareem Hunt in some way and have Baker throw less than 30 passes a game.
1: <laughs>
0: right. And I,
1: and I totally agree with you on that. Um, Just considering that, like, you know, Baker Mayfield, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those situations where you have those two backs. And I think if you have that kind of talent in your backfield, hand the ball off and use the play action more often. I think if the, at if the, browns use that play action i mean it's it could be very very challenging to all their teams to kind of stop it so i mean that's that's kind of what you want to see from the browns to see what they do um you know i think that if you i mean they already had the talent at the receiver position everybody was like well oh i think that they're going to trade odell beckham and they didn't move him. So, I mean, they obviously want to move forward with Odell. Um, maybe work him in a little bit more this season. Try to, you know, get him the ball, but not force it. Maybe on some slant routes and, you know, try to break him open. Uh, I think that, you know, Jarvis Landry, shorthanded guy. So, I mean, they have weapons. They have talent on that team. I mean, it's not like I, – I still think the Browns <laughs> are the most – I mean, even though they weren't – it didn't show in the record. I still think that that team has arguably if they're, they're fighting with the Ravens for the most talent in the AFC North. You know, I think that the Ravens edge them out, obviously, just because of you have, you know, the MVP Lamar Jackson, um, you know, you have some, some guys on defense and I'm like, Oh my goodness, this, this defense, you know, if you have a Marlon Humphrey and you have a, uh, you know, Jimmy Smith and some of these other guys, Marcus Peters, uh, Earl Thomas. I think that that kind of edges them out. But, you know, the Browns, I mean, they, they still had that talent. I think people can't sleep on what they could possibly accomplish this season if they, you know, keep everything under under wraps and don't try to go too crazy.
0: Yeah, the difference between Cleveland and Baltimore last season was Cleveland may have had some of those more higher profile top-end talent guys, but the problem was is that on defense, not many of them existed. And the Browns lack depth on offense and defense. And that's where Baltimore had them beat. That's where good teams have have the advantage. When they have that depth, after, you know, a starter has to come out because he's tired or he's injured, or in the case of Miles Garrett suspended, having someone who is at least competent as the position teams like Baltimore have that advantage over teams like Cleveland.
1: Right. And that, that's something like, I mean, I think a lot of people um, what they kind of look for in a draft is just getting that, you know, that depth. And now I think that, you know, the, to me, I think Jedrick Willis, you know, you get him, your offensive line. I mean, your offensive line needed depth. Um, I think that they get a back end guy like Grant Delpit, that, that, to me i mean like you said before they need defensive help mm-hmm. just in general they still need it um <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean but like i think they made a good start with with Delpit, Elliott, elliot and phillips I, I just think that those are really solid picks and then somehow in the back end of the draft i mean in the sixth round i don't know how he fell all the way down there but you get donovan people's jones and i mean i think he is a very solid pick for them i mean we'll we'll see what happens but i you know i wouldn't i'm not mad at it if i'm if i'm the browns or browns fans in general i think that is a very solid draft that they had
0: yeah overall no not really a whole bunch of complaints uh may you know only way i see it is maybe a little bit more defense uh maybe uh they took instead of Phillips from LSU, they maybe would have took Malik Harrison as an outside guy because the Browns lack outside edge rushing outside of Garrett and Vernon, but not really a, a whole lot of complaints. It's just more nitpicking than anything, really, and not really uh, something to focus on a whole lot. Uh, with Peoples-Jones, though, I will say the one, the one there were a couple knocks on him, which is why I could see why he slid, and that's uh, he had a hard time gaining separation in college and he never had a 100-yard receiving game either. So there's a concern there, but I think he could be a a start off as a return man for Cleveland and see what he turns into and develops as uh, the years go by.
1: Right. And I could I could totally see that as well. Um I think that you know, you you let him kind of work his way. Um we'll see what like I said before, we'll see what happens with Odell Beckham Jr. um going forward. Uh, and then if if he can kind of fight his way in, people Jones that is. Um, I think that you know you can give him an increased role on the team.
0: Yeah, uh, like I said earlier, we're going to finish off with some baseball. You are an Orioles guy. Um, what what's the kind of what was the feeling for the team coming into this season? I, I know they're kind of in that rebuild type of area. Um you know, when they do come back they will be without uh Trey Mancini, so that definitely hurts them in that regard. So what was the expectations before? Then maybe how have they changed now? So I mean I think
1: everyone in the in in Baltimore kind of expected the Orioles that even... I mean, it was a possibility he took a step back from how bad they were <laughs> last year. Um, you know, and that's that's really saying <laughs> something. I mean, they... You know, especially with Tra- with Trey Mancini out, I just think that that team would have been... I hate to say it, but they would have been doomed. I mean, and, like, you, like everyone always... Uh, I mean, everyone's saying... You know, of course, we want to we want the Orioles to to make a resurgence. But I just don't think it would have been the time for that right now, just based off of the fact that, you know, they just don't have the talent on the team. They don't have the pitching talent, which I think is coming. I mean, I think that a lot of I mean, you have to look at guys in the minors like D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez and uh, Michael Bauman and Dean Kramer. I mean, those, those guys are coming and I think Dean Kramer is coming earlier than what people expect. Um, you know, I thought if the season had happened or, is, I mean, when it happens, I think that Dean Kramer is going to be a guy that's a starter that, um, you know, they could kind of lean on down the line. I think the the guy, you know, he can, he could punch it up to 96, 97 right-handed guy. Um, He's really talented. I I like his game. Uh, You know, he has good stuff. And I think that's something that the Orioles have lacked for a really long time. Um, Same thing with Grayson Rodriguez. Another guy that's a, you know, he was a first-round pick. He's super talented. Um, And I think that he's going to be a really great pitcher down the line for the Orioles. But I think, you know, when when you have those guys waiting in the wings and the minors, I think that a lot, you know, you give it you give it a little bit of time um, just for them to come up. So, I think in about two years, two, three years, the Orioles should be a, a lot better of a team. And I think that it's a long-term plan for them. You know, the the they don't have a lot of hitting prospects right now, um, except for, of course, everyone knows about Adley Rushman.
0: I'm a huge fan Adley of his. Rush-
1: oh, yeah. He, he's He's... Extremely talented. I think that he is. I mean, if the Orioles get it right, I mean, he's the next Buster Posey. But they also said, uh, you know, um, Matt Weirs was mauer with power, so we'll see mauer where that with goes. Power. On. I like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. I I think that you know they they need those position prospects. I mean, they had when the Orioles were really good. What did they have? They had the middle you know, shored up. Mm-hmm. They had J.J. Hardy, and they had Jonathan Scope, but then they also had Manny Machado on the third, uh, playing third base, and they had Chris Davis playing very well at first base. But now Chris Davis, I mean, it, it really sucks for him And my – I mean, I, I feel so bad for him because he was having such a great spring training. It seemed like he was locked in. Everything was going back to – it seemed like C.D. was back. Yeah, you know, it's
0: and... it's just hard watching chris Davis because he had that one streak where he just was so bad last year and it, I mean he's still he's fallen off from what he was he's no longer Crush Davis I mean but I guess one aspect looking at the um uh, the delay here and if for some reason that uh this baseball season doesn't happen it takes a year off of that cr- Chris Davis contract that they don't have to pay because that's still looking pretty ugly.
1: Oh yeah, and I I mean that it, it stinks because that was the first domino. I I in my honest belief that caused the Orioles to you know fall apart the way that they did. I think that signing Chris Davis. I mean they could have signed Manny Machado to a way cheaper. I mean to a deal that was you know, comparable to that. And you would have had Manny Machado at 165.
0: <laughs> I don't know you if know? Machado wanted to sign that early, though. I think he was the I, guy that wanted to test free agency first, wasn't he?
1: So they, it, it's weird. They didn't offer Manny that much money to first go around. I think it was something in a $100 million to $130 million range. And it was like, you know, after Manny had those knee injuries, I think that he his his market value kind of diminished initially, mm-hmm. um, and I think that the Orioles were concerned about that just based off of the fact that you know you had a third baseman that was that talented, but his knees were just obliterated. I mean, he had they yes, they were two kind of freak knee injuries. I mean, he had he had an abnormality. In his, in his knee, I think it was his, like, I can't remember if it was his uh, patellofemoral ligament, but he had some weird, like, bone deformity in his knee that had to get shaved down, and it was on both sides. And so he had the same exact injury in two years straight, but on opposite knees. And so they fixed it. And then after that, um, you know, Manny became who he is today. And I mean, he was already great before that, but then now he doesn't even have to worry about the injury bug. So I mean, I think at that point in 2015, after he had gotten injured, um, they that scared them off a little bit, and they knew that Chris Davis was a proven commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, he bounced back after having a rough 2014 season when they uh, he got suspended for Adderall mm-hmm. uh, use. And um, after that, you know, 2015, he came back and he just absolutely obliterated the ball like he did in 2013 when he was fighting for the MVP spot. Yeah. So, you know, they they went with the first baseman. I, I don't think that was a great move considering that first base is in a premium position. And that's coming from somebody that played first base my whole entire life. and, and <laughs> And like in baseball as a kid, and I won't, you know, if, the, if you can get a really good first baseman, like, you know, if you could get a Frank Thomas, by all means, go ahead and do it. But if you're getting a Chris Davis, who, you know, was really streaky as a hitter, um, I just don't think that was a great move for them. And, you know, maybe they could have signed Manny a little bit earlier, or maybe they could have signed and kept Jonathan Scope you would have had those two guys up the middle. Mm-hmm. Manny would have still been playing shortstop for the Orioles. Um, but now, you know, they have Jose Iglesias at shortstop, <laughs> and we don't even know if he'll get to play this season. Um, even though he he's he's so I mean he's new to the team It just you know he's, this he's is a, not an he's idea. He's a rather
0: light hitter, so
1: right. <laughs> so I mean that's that's a far cry from Manny Machado. So it, it just. I you know I I don't know what's gonna happen with this year. I think if if they do end up playing, you know Ryan Mountcastle I think is gonna be the guy that's in Trey Mancini's left field spot. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's another another really great hitting prospect, but not I wouldn't say he's he's not that great of a fielder. That's that's his issue, and I think it's it's kind of it's funny because it's similar. <laughs> You know, he's honestly a really similar player to Trey Mancini. Mm-hmm. Um I think that Trey had, had an I mean, when he first came up, he was a first baseman. And you know, Ryan Mountcastle played he it's funny, he he came up as a shortstop, then they moved him to third base. And they were like, Okay, your arms a little bit too weak to play third, so we're gonna move you to left field. Then they were like, Okay, well, we don't really like your arm out there, so we're going to move you to first. And then now they're talking about possibly making him a second baseman, but then they want to move him back out the left field. And they're like, you're really a a spot for him. Right. (laughs) And they're like, well, maybe you're a DH. And so he's kind of like, it's like, he's, he's really similar to Trey Mancini. I think Trey Mancini also worked on his, ability and out in the outfield like he's a serviceable outfielder now Mm -hmm. he wasn't when he first when he first came onto the scene um you know he was just exclusively used as a dh in 2016 when he first got called up um then they were like okay well we're gonna try to place you at first i mean his numbers at first as a hitter also a lot better um were a lot better at the time now he's like exclusively an outfielder unless chris davis is somewhere else. But um you know, I, I think that, you know, Ryan Mountcastle, I think that if he gets his bill I mean, if he gets his chance to to hit, I mean people are gonna see they're gonna feel you know, his wrath as a as a hitter. I mean he he's an outstanding hitter. I think he is probably the best hitting prospect that the Orioles had, ironically enough, since Trey Mancini. Um so you know, he, I think they're really comparable players, except that, you know, Trey's a little bit better of a defender.
0: Yeah, um, it, if there is no baseball this year, I guess it won't, from a payroll standpoint, it won't have as much of an impact on the Orioles as it would as other teams. Um, only because they are so low on the payroll scale currently. <laughs> um, they're one of the... Bottom teams here, but they don't have a lot of long-term commitments outside of Chris Davis and Alex Cobb. Um, so I, I think that I think they'll be fine for if there is a an impact cash flow-wise, they won't have to scramble unlike um, certain other teams, most uh, notably the uh, the Indians, who will have to make some very tough decisions in regards to players like Francisco Lindor, where no one was quite sure on his future in Cleveland, and if there's not a season, or if they have season and fans aren't allowed to games, it's gonna have a big time impact, uh, cash flow wise.
1: Right, and I I think that you know this is gonna be a, a tough season for players and uh, you know management, like together. I mean, and we also saw the fact that they're cutting forty minor league baseball teams. I mean that. That really stinks. I, I mean, because I, you know, I I usually the Orioles have a minor league team in Frederick, Maryland, which is about forty five minutes west of uh, Baltimore. Um, and uh, you know, Fred the Frederick Keys, they bring a lot of revenue to that area. You're losing, you know, not only are you losing a you know a lot of my MLB games, but you're losing a whole minor league team. Mm-hmm. Um. And then you're also, you have a, you have now, you also have an issue where the draft is getting shrunk. And I mean, the draft is only supposed to be about 10. I mean, it's only 10 rounds, you know, so that possibly only 10 rounds, maybe five rounds. We don't even know yet. And I mean, that that's the biggest issue that I think is coming down the pipe is that you're consolidating the amount of minor league teams. And I mean, that that's going to hurt. Down the line, I think that the talent pool you effectively shrunk shrunk in the talent pool, and I mean that that's just not good for the game. I, I don't I don't agree with that at all. The way Rob Manfred went about it, Um and it, it's a I think it's just you know it's ugly for the game in general.
0: Yeah, talent pool wise, it's not going to be easy. Development wise, it's not going to be pretty either because there are going to be guys that are where this may have been a very uh, productive year development wise for them, or guys who are you know bounce back candidates who are just going to completely miss out on uh, that chance to establish themselves, and you know maybe they have their careers ended prematurely because of this. Uh, what's happening now? Not just the the minor league thing, but with the if baseball just doesn't happen. So, hopefully, baseball returns even in some form, uh, even if they have to do that weird. Uh, Texas, Arizona, Florida plan. Uh, but I would love to see baseball return, but that's just me. I'm sure you would like I'm, to see it return as well.
1: I'm right there with you. Anything to get our sports fix.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's been great having you on here today. Um, definitely going to have you back on the future. If baseball returns, definitely going to have you back for Orioles and when the Football season comes back, we'll definitely talk, uh, you know, Browns, Ravens, and stuff like that.
1: I'd love to. That would be great.